Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. What I want to do today as we kick off this series is is I really want to just kind of uh, give you an introduction to the book, give you some context about the book. And so I'll spend maybe half, uh, half of the, the morning doing that. And then uh, I just want to get into it. And so we're going to be covering uh, the, the very first verse. And so I just kind of want to launch us off in the first week. But I do want to give us some background info because uh, it's really important. Uh, it's, throughout our journey in Romans, we're going to point back to this day. We're going to go, we're going to point back to why was Romans written and what's going on during that time and, and what's going on in the church at Rome. So this, this stuff here is foundational because uh, we're going to be referring back to it. Um, so again, introduction, and then I just want to launch us off into um, the book by focusing on, on the first verse this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want to answer a few questions this morning about uh, Romans. The first is this. How important is Romans? Uh, it, I'll tell you this. It's really, really important, but don't take my word for it. Uh, take, for example, uh, Martin Luther, uh, the Protestant reformer of the 16th century, says this about Romans, how important it is. He says, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is the true and truly the purest gospel it is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much, for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Man, Martin Luther was like, you got to be in Romans every day. I mean, that's how important this book is. John Calvin, another reformer, he says, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. Romans is like the door to the entire Bible. J.I. Packer, a very famous theologian, says, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans. And all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. I love this next thing he says. And when the message of Romans gets into the person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. I mean, this book that we have here isn't just any book. This is the word of God for us. This is God speaking to you and I. And I'm telling you, if this book gets into your soul it will transform me. John Piper says, Romans is the most important theological Christian work ever written. And so because it is so important, I think I just don't want to rush us going through this book. And so again, we're going to spend a few years here. So that's how important Romans is. The second question I want to answer is who wrote Romans? Who wrote Romans? And really, it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's really no dispute about who wrote the book of Romans. Third question is, uh, from where and when did Paul write Romans? And so most likely, Paul wrote the book of Mor uh, I'll say Mormon. <laughs> totally, totally not. No, 
Way off. Way off. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, that's going to make it online. Okay. From Corinth, uh, while on his third missionary journey, and he wrote it around A.D. 57. Now, if you want these notes and, and don't feel like you have to write all this stuff, on your connection card, so you could just put, hey, send me your sermon, your sermon notes, and I will gladly email you my sermon notes. Um, so he wrote it from Corinth on his third missionary journey, AD 57. Now, fourth question is, to whom did Paul write the book of Romans? Well, he writes to the church in Rome, uh, made up of both Gentile or non-Jew, uh, a Gentile Christian and a Jewish Christian, although uh, scholars believe that there were more Gentile Christians than Jewish Christians. So he's writing to them. Now, one thing that's very interesting is that um, Paul did not start the church in Rome. He didn't plant the church in, in Rome. And so, um, you know, we really don't know how it got started. Most likely, uh, there was some uh, Jewish believer or just Jewish people uh, at, um, uh, at Jerusalem during, uh, during Pentecost. Uh, and so they experienced Pentecost. They got served at, at Pentecost. Then they returned to Rome. And so maybe that was the foundation of the Roman church that started uh, at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Um, so he's writing to Christians, uh, both Gentile and Jewish Christians. Uh, the, the next question is this, why? I think this is so important, and we're going to refer back to this the entire time. Why did Paul write Romans? What were the reasons that he wrote Romans? The first reason is this, uh, Paul wants to unify the church in Rome. There was a lot of tension between Gentile and Jewish Christians, uh, some scholars say that, uh, and this is, this is true, that uh, a lot of Jewish Christians actually were expelled from Rome in, uh, from A.D. 49 to A.D. 54, so about five years, for five years, uh, Emperor Claudius expelled these Jewish Christians uh, because there was a dispute over Christ. And so as these Jewish Christians left Rome, the church in Rome was predominantly Gentile. After the five years, these Jewish uh, Christians returned to Rome, and there was some tension there because the Jewish Christians now had more influence than the, Gentile, than the Jewish Christians. So there was a lot of conflict between both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so Paul is going to be writing to create unity within the body of Christ. And I believe even till this day, that is so important, isn't it? Unity in the body of Christ. So that's the first thing and the first reason why Paul writes Romans. Uh, the second reason why Paul writes Romans is to clarify his gospel, to clarify his gospel and to clarify his theology. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, Paul, Paul was being questioned about what he believed uh, and, and, and he was really been misunder he was being misunderstood. And so Paul's really writing, hey, this is the gospel, this is what I believe, and this is my theology, which kind of plays into this, the third the reason why Paul wrote Romans. Number three, it's to take the gospel to Spain. Uh, Paul needed the Roman church to support him to take the gospel to Spain. He wanted Rome to be his base of operations. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is my theology. This is my gospel. Can you get behind me and support me to go reach uh, the people in the West? Take the gospel to Spain. So to unify the Roman church, 
to clarify his theology and how that impacts the Christian life. Third, to take the gospel to Spain. He, he, need, he needed support. And fourth, and I think this is the biggest reason of all, is to bring glory to God. I mean, Paul wrote Romans to bring glory and honor and praise to God because of the message of the gospel. So what is the overall theme of Romans? I would put it this way. The overall theme of Romans, if you could summarize it in a sentence or two, it's this. The theme of Romans is the revel is a revelation of God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, in the cross of Christ, in the cross of Christ, God both judges people who are not in him, but at the same time saves those who have placed their faith in him and displays his grace and his mercy on the cross. That's what the gospel is, the cross. On the cross, God both judges and saves the world. Lastly, in matters of introduction, is how is Romans outlined? And I have a, a slide up here for you. Again, we're going to be refer as we travel I'm going to kind of, it's kind of like our guide or our map. I'm going to be referring back to this breakdown of Romans um, just to let you guys kind of know where we're at. But this is an, an easy, basic breakdown of Romans. The first thing is the introduction uh, that we're going to start today. Paul's going to introduce himself. He's going to introduce his audience. And he's also going to introduce in week three, the theme of uh, Romans. Second is um, the universal need for God's righteousness of uh, chapter one through three, uh, we all need God's saving righteousness because we are all unrighteousness. The Bible says that we are all sinners. And so we are in desperate need of the righteousness of God. Fourth or third, the third point is the, the means of obtaining God's righteousness, right? So it will take us uh, to chapter three and four. So we need the righteousness because we don't we're unrighteous people. We're sinful. We're evil. We deserve God's punishment and wrath. Uh, but God's righteousness is available to us through faith in Christ. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus baptism or faith plus communion. Or it's, it's, that's a false gospel. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Then after going into how do we obtain the righteousness of God, we go into the benefits of obtaining God's righteousness in chapters five through eight. This is just a beautiful section of all of the benefits that are available to believers because we are righteous in Christ. We receive his righteousness. Then in chapter nine, 10, and 11, really we see the vindication of God's righteousness, right? So what happens uh, when, when God promises to Israel in the Old Testament that uh, he, he, all, he, all these promises that, that, that God made to him through all the covenants of Davidic covenant, you will be my people uh, and I'll have a land for you and all of these promises that God made Israel, what happens to that? Like, has God failed? Like, has God been unfaithful? Has God not been righteous in his actions? And so Paul addresses God's righteousness in, verse, in chapter 12 through 15, then, 
He gets very practical and with a lot of application. How do we live then in light of the righteousness that we have in Christ? How do we practically live out the Christian faith? And Paul gets really practical there. And then conclusion, chapter 15 and 16, there's a couple of personal greetings, a doxology, a praise to God. But that's the over, if you could to kind of take the bird's eye view of Romans, that is the structure of the book. So I know that's a lot of info there, but again, if you want my notes, I'd be gladly to send you my entire sermon outline. Just let me know through the connection card. But again, we're going to just jump in this morning to Romans, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 1 this morning. And let's just read that together. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let us pray. God, we love you. We honor you. We praise you for who you are. And God, we are so thankful that you did not remain silent, but that you have given us your word, that you speak to us clearly through your word, that you speak to us objectively through your word. And specifically in the life of our church, we thank you for speaking to us through this amazing letter. And so God, as we journey through Romans, will you transform us? Will you help us realize that we, before you, were spiritually bankrupt and unrighteous and that we only have a perfect righteousness through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? And God, I pray that you would Allow us to live out the righteousness that we have practically, pursuing holiness and purity and righteousness in a dark world to be the light to those around us. So God, speak to us powerfully through your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you would illuminate us this morning and make this even one verse so applicable to our life and to our heart. God, challenge us encourage us this morning, and comfort us. We love you. We thank you. We honor you in this place. And all of God's people said, amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. If Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a LinkedIn, what would it say? If the Apostle Paul had a LinkedIn, what would it say? Maybe you're some of you are like, what is a LinkedIn? I've never heard a LinkedIn is kind of like a so, it's another social media platform like Facebook and things like that. But this is more for like your professional life, your career. Uh, you have all the jobs you've worked with, your resumes up there. Uh, it allows people to network with with other professionals. Uh, you could even, if you've ever written things, you could you know put put your articles or whatever you want. It's it's your professional profile. And so, if Paul lived today, what would his LinkedIn say. Well, this morning, I want to give you four things that Paul, I believe that Paul would put on his LinkedIn. And so one thing that we need to understand going back to, to the, the reason why Paul wrote this letter is because 
Paul is about to really try in the next couple of weeks, try to display his authority. Hey, this is who I am. I'm just, I'm not just a nobody. I've been called by God. And so, uh, and so he's trying to build up his authority and credibility. Why? Let's go back to that purpose because he wants that support, right? He, he wants that support to take the gospel to Spain. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that I think Paul would put on his LinkedIn is this, saved. One word, saved. Paul is saved. He experienced salvation. Now, one thing that's very interesting is that in Romans, it starts off as Paul. But what we need to understand as well is that Paul has two names, actually. Uh, His Roman name is Paul, and he used this name after his conversion. But his Hebrew name prior to his conversion is Saul. And so I actually want to just spend just a few minutes reminding you, or maybe even the first time you hear this, hear this about Paul's salvation and conversion story. Paul, before Christ, uh, was a Jewish Pharisee, and he was the best of the best, trained under the best, most renowned rabbi there was in the day. He came from a wealthy family. He was a powerful, educated, influential person. And so Paul hated Christians. Paul persecuted the early church. In fact, when in Acts chapter 8, when Stephen, a believer, was being stoned to death, Paul approved of his execution. Paul was a murderer. Paul hated Christians. He hated the way. And so that's what the early Christians were called in the early days, the way. And so Paul, on his road to Damascus, a city north of Jerusalem, he was attempting to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he was attempting to persecute, whether it was a man, woman, child, anybody, arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Then suddenly on his way to Damascus, a light from heaven shone around him. And it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And so the Lord Jesus Christ asked Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Just a brief side note. When the world persecutes Christians, they're really not persecuting Christians. They're persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul responds with an interesting question. He says, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? His conversion, his moment of salvation, his moment of regeneration uh, taken from darkness into light. And so the Lord Jesus told Paul to go to Damascus for a different reason now. He's going to get further instructions. Then the Lord struck Paul with blindness for three days. So for three days, Paul couldn't see and he did not eat. And so the Lord Jesus appeared to a man named Ananias and said, hey, uh, go to Paul and restore his sight. And he did. And that's how he met Christ. Before Christ, he was a persecutor, a murderer. He had an encounter with Jesus. And then after Christ, what did Paul immediately do? Acts chapter 9, verse 20. This is what Paul immediately did. 
And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. He didn't wait. He, 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 didn't, he didn't waste any time. He immediately started preaching Christ, that Christ is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. And Paul, I believe, was the greatest Christian who ever lived. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, and that's why he changed his name. He didn't want to be a stumbling block to the Gentiles, so he, instead of using his Hebrew name Saul, he changed it to Paul. He started using Paul instead to not be a stumbling block to them. Paul wrote 13 of our, uh, 13 of our New Testament letters. 14, if you think he wrote Hebrews, I don't think he did, but 13, for sure we know that he wrote. I mean, Paul was a powerhouse believer, Eusebius, one of the church historians, said that Paul, the way that he died was that he was beheaded by Nero. He was martyred for his faith. So Paul goes from one who was the persecutor to being persecuted and given his life for Christ. And only Jesus can do that to somebody. Only Jesus can change someone like that. As I was reading uh, Paul's a conversion story, I remembered my conversion story and really thinking about how I came to Christ. You see, I grew up in the church, both of my parents going to church since I was two years old. They did prison ministry, they did, they did all kinds of, we, were all, we lived at church. But just because my parents went to church doesn't mean that I was a Christian. Just because my, my parents were saved doesn't mean that I was saved. In high school, especially my senior year, I was living apart from God. I mean, as, as apart from God as you can get for a, an 18-year-old, sleeping around, in drugs, one of the biggest potheads in, the high, in high school, partying every weekend, without purpose, without direction, without hope, in, dark, in a dark, dark place. And then one day, we went to my, it was a, it was a Friday night, fall of 2005. I was at my friend's house, a bunch of my high school football buddies. We were getting ready to go to another party, and we were pre-gaming, right? You drink before you go to the party to drink. And I was sitting at the kitchen table. And these are, these are my friends. These are, these are guys that I, I was so close to. And honestly, like, I was the craziest of the bunch. I just, I was the ringleader. And I just kid you not, and I don't, I don't over and hyper-spiritualize things, but I'm going to explain to you how, at least what my experience was. I was sitting at the kitchen table, and I just felt like if someone grabbed me by the shoulders and, like, stood me up, like, it just felt so powerful, and stood me up, and I just uttered the, like, I just uttered the following words. Like, I just felt like these words were just forced out of my mouth. My friends were about to leave, and I said, guys, I'm not going with you tonight. I'm done. I'm done. They were just like, like what? Man, I think, I think you drank too much. They're just like in shock. I said, I'm done. I'm done. I got in my car, drove 30 minutes home. The 
best drive I've ever taken in my life. A freedom that I experienced. I remember going into my house, throwing, going into my room. I threw myself on the floor and I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I will commit my entire life to serving you. And I haven't stopped since. My conversion story. It was in an instant, in a moment. It was so sudden. I'm telling you, like it was just, it was like the lights were off and then someone turned on the, the switch and that's it. I went from darkness to light in an instant. From having no purpose to having purpose. From having no hope to having hope. That's my Damascus road. It's interesting about Paul, that Paul was on the Damascus road, not following after Christ, not looking for Jesus. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus on the Damascus road, but Jesus was looking for Paul. I got converted on 89th and Bell. On 89th and Bell, I wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was on 89th and Bell looking for me. Believer, do you remember your conversion story? Do you remember when the switch of your heart was turned on by the Lord? Do you, do you remember when God was looking for you? Where were you? Who were you around? Do you remember the moment where you just said, I know I'm in Christ. I know I have salvation. I'm a new creation. I'm a different person. Where God sovereignly drew you into himself. What a glorious moment. I believe the two greatest moments of our lives is the day we were born and the day we were born again, spiritually in Christ. And so Paul is saved. And believer, if you have experienced the saving grace of God, may you glorify him. May you remember when he drew you to himself. What a precious moment that is. Second, what would Paul say on his LinkedIn? Not only saved, but servant. Look at verse one, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around church long enough, you know this is the Greek word doulos. And so... I don't think the word servant is the best translation. I really don't. Uh, I don't think the ESV gets it right here. I think the best translation is the word slave. Because if you would have said doulos in that culture, they would have thought slave. And so really Paul is a slave of Jesus Christ. He's a slave of Jesus Christ. And there's a, a difference between a slave and a servant, isn't there? A servant could leave and, 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 and go and come as he pleases, right? A, a servant is free, but not a slave. A slave is someone who serves his master. A slave is someone who is totally at the, at the disposal of his master. Uh, someone who owns all of their allegiance to his master. A slave is someone who has been bought by his master and who lives to do the will of his master. And so Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's very interesting. Notice the humility in Paul. 
that before he calls himself an apostle, he first calls himself a slave. I mean, I think that just says a lot about who Paul is. He's like, I'm, I'm a slave first, apostle second. And so Paul was once a slave to sin, but now he's a slave to Christ. Paul was once a slave to Satan, but now he's a slave to his Savior. Paul was once a slave to the kingdom of darkness. Now he's a slave to the kingdom of light. I don't know about you, believer, but I would rather be a slave of Christ than the king of the world. There is no greater title for the believer than slave. It's an honor to be a slave. It's a pleasure to be the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, church, you and I are slaves. If you are a Christian, you are a slave. Now, I know in our country, we don't like that. How can you tell me? I have freedom. We, we just kind of reject that. But Christian, believer, if you are truly in Christ, you are a slave. You're a slave to the one who bought you. There is, this is not an option. This is not uh, whether we want to or not. We are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I were bought with the price. You and I were bought with the precious blood of the lamb. You are not your own. You were bought by the Lord. He owns us. And so everything that we have and everything that we do is for the Lord. Our time, for example, is not our own. We must ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to do with the time that I have? My time is you've given me this time and I have this time because you've blessed me with it. Our talents are not our own either. They were a gracious gift to God, from God to us. God, what do you want me to do with the spiritual gifts that you have given me? I'm your slave. What do you want me to do with them? Our treasure, our material possessions, they're, they're a, 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 on loan from God. God, how do you want me to steward the resources that you have given me for your glory? We're slaves, church, and that is, again, such a blessing. We're slaves to Christ Jesus. You see, in our culture, Christian culture these days, there's this idea that we can be slaves of Jesus as Savior, but not slaves as Jesus our Lord. It's a very interesting thing. But here, Paul says, no, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves, and that is true. And Christ is the Messiah. Uh, he, he's the anointed one. And so uh, the fact that Christ is Messiah is also connected to his lordship, that Christ is Lord. That's why a lot of times you see Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're slaves of Jesus who saves us, yes, but we're also say, uh, slaves of Jesus, our Lord. You see, a lot of times we want Jesus the Savior, but not Jesus the Lord, right? I want Jesus to save me from my sins, and I want to go to heaven, 
And I love that he's my savior, but I'm going to live life my own way. He ain't my Lord. I'm going to do whatever I want, live however I want. I'm in the driver's seat, not Jesus. Church, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work like that. If he's your savior, he's your Lord. And if he's your Lord, he's your savior. And we're saved, slaves to Jesus Christ, the Lord. Third, summoned. Paul would say summoned. He was called to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. Paul was called by God specifically chosen by God. He was summoned by God. Paul Paul didn't go seeking after Christ. He didn't go seeking after Jesus. Galatians chapter one gives us some insight. Chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's not a self-appointed apostleship. Jesus Christ appointed Paul. He summoned Paul. He called Paul. And in Paul's writings and letters, when God calls someone either into salvation or into office, it happens. It's effective. It's an effectual calling. It's an effective calling. It always happens and it always comes true. And so Paul is called. It's kind of like a king during those days. If a king in the ancient world called for you and summoned summoned you to himself, you win. There was no option. Like it, it happened. And the same is true here. God called Paul. He summoned Paul to be an apostle. Now, what does the what does apostle mean? Simply or generally, the word apostle means messenger. That's what that means. And so a lot of times Paul or the New Testament uses apostle in a general general way. Someone who's sent, someone who's just a messenger. And so really, anybody could be an apostle. Anybody could be sent. I mean, it's just a messenger, uh, a church planner, a missionary. I mean, we're, we're we're all messengers. And so generally, anybody could be an apostle. But here, Paul is not talking about it in a general sense. He's talking about the office of apostle. And so there were the 12 apostles, right? And now Paul is also an apostle. So what makes a person an apostle, like a true apostle? Biblically speaking, there are three things that make someone an apostle. Number one, they had to witness the risen Lord. They've had to have an encounter and see the resurrected Christ. And so Paul saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. Two, the apostles were have, had to have been directly chosen by God. So, so God had to choose each and every apostle. And third, they've had to have been taught by Jesus himself. Those are the three qualifications of a true apostle or the office of apostle, the specific office of apostle. Therefore, there are no apostles today. There's no office of apostle today. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, Paul says that he's the last of the apostles. So there's the office of apostle no longer exists, which to me is so interesting coming from the charismatic movement that everyone's an apostle, a self-appointed apostle. Now, I hope and I pray that they mean a messenger, because guess what? We can all have the title of messenger at that point. 
But if they're referring to anything else, boy, that is dangerous. That is dangerous. There are no apostles today. And so Paul was called, he was summoned with a specific calling upon his life. Summoned. Believer, you were summoned as well. You were called as well. You are called as well. You might not be called into the office of apostle because we can't, but you were called. If you're a Christian, you were called to spread a message. You, you were called for a mission. Mark 16, verse 15 gives us what, the mission that we were called to. Jesus says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You were called to take the good news of Christ to a dark and broken and hurting and lost world. Every single believer, you were called to proclaim the good news, called to a mission. And so, church, I got to just remind you that before I preach these sermons to you, man, I'm preaching to myself first the entire week. And this was so convicting. And let me just be very direct and very honest and very transparent here. I said to myself this week, if I'm called to be a messenger of the gospel and I'm not doing it, I am sinning against the Lord. I I am sinning against God. And so believer, if you are not actively finding opportunities to take the message that you were called to share, you are sinning against the Lord. There's got to be an urgency in our hearts for the lost and the broken and those who don't know Jesus. You were called to it. You were were picked specifically to spread the message of the gospel. And let me tell you, the, the, the motivation or the why of why we should spread the gospel. You were not just called to a mission. Look at verse six in Romans chapter one. Look at verse six in Romans chapter one. It says this, including you who are called, again, same word, called to belong to Jesus Christ. You were called to a relationship with Christ. You were not just called to a mission. You were called to a thriving, saving, healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. And so because we are called to a relationship with Jesus Christ, out of that relationship and out of the fact that he encountered us on the Damascus Road, we then are called to that mission and we do it joyfully, willingly, and sacrificially. You were called to a mission. You were called to a relationship. And lastly, separated. Paul was separated, set apart for the gospel. Galatians chapter 1.15 says, But when he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, Paul was set apart before he was even born. 
Before the foundation of the world, God had set him apart. Now, it's so interesting, as I mentioned earlier, that Paul was a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day. And so the word Pharisee actually means separated one. That's what Pharisee means, separated one. And so Paul, when he was a Pharisee, when Paul, when Paul was uh, not converted yet, he was trying to separate himself from the Gentiles. I don't want to be defiled by them. They're pagans. They're unholy. They're worthless. But then God set him apart for the Gentiles, for their salvation to bring Gentiles to himself. He was separated from, and now he's separated for, to preach the good news of the gospel. So Paul goes from persecutor to preacher, from persecuting the church to proclaiming the gospel of God, that God is holy and perfect and righteous, and he's the creator of the universe. And he created everything perfect, very good, it says. But man, messed it all up. We sinned, we fell from grace. And because God is a holy and perfect and just God, he's a God that will not let sin go unpunished. When Adam fell, when man fell, when humanity fell, we didn't just commit a boo-boo. We committed cosmic treason against a holy and perfect and righteous God. And so this holy and perfect righteous God will not let sin go unpunished because he's holy and just and he's righteous. So what does he do? He sends his one and only son to provide a way out, to provide salvation from his wrath. And Jesus Christ on the cross died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day and he's coming back one day. And everyone, and I mean everyone, who repents and believes will find salvation. That is the gospel that Paul preached and was separated for. Believer, you were separated for the message of the gospel as well. You were set apart for the gospel. You, you were set apart from sin for God. You were set apart from Satan for God. You were set apart from the world for the world, to reach the world. Believer, you are your plan A. There's no plan B. You are plan A. God, God didn't say, well, if this doesn't work, if my, if my church doesn't work in reaching the world, I have a, I have a back. There is no backup plan. There is no backup plan. You are plan A. You were separated for God into a loving relationship with him.
So, that's what Paul's profile would say. Saved, servant, summoned, separated. Believer, that's what yours says. When someone asks you who you are, I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm a slave of God. My life is not my own. I've been called by God. I have a special calling on my life. I'm on this earth for a purpose. I was created with a purpose. And I've been set apart to proclaim the gospel from the rooftop. That is who you are. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereign grace upon our lives. God, that while we weren't looking for you, you were looking for us. When we couldn't come to you because we were dead in our sin, you came to us and you drew us to yourself. God, forgive us if we've just taken our salvation for granted, our conversion story for granted. God, thank you for saving a sinner like me. We didn't deserve it, but you gave us grace upon grace. And so God, I just pray that you would ignite a light and a fire under every single person here in this room this morning to go out and share and spread the message of the gospel that we were recipients of. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Not in our own wisdom or gimmicks or tricks, but in the power of prayer, the power of the Spirit. So God, change us. As we go through this book, wreck us for you. God, we honor you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.